Luke 15 in your Bibles. You know one thing that's really important to me? Is that God have joy. Did you know it? Joy started with God. And the joy you're enjoying came from God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I saw a little truth in this story that I want to share with you this morning. We're going to look at the sins of the sinful brother. We're going to look at the sins of the self-righteous brother. And then we're going to look at the sacrificing Savior this morning. Not often that I get to preach a text that Jesus himself taught on this platform last week. As uh, Neil shared Luke 15. You say, well, I've heard everything there is to hear about that. No, you haven't. No, God's going to say something to us this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Lord, would you show me? Some of us, he's already showing. There's some people right now. Would you show me anything in my life between me and you? Anything that's hindering my Christian life? Holy Spirit, we already feel your presence in this room. Thank you that there's nothing too dirty. I'd have been that. But thank you, Lord, that you made me worthy. You made me holy. You're the one that saved me. It was your blood that cleansed me. And Lord, I pray if there's one in this room that's not saved, today will be the day that they are made a child of the Most High God. Maybe even in this very moment, crying out to you for, for repentance and faith. Jesus, save my soul. I'm a lost sinner. And I need a Savior. And then for believers in this room, Lord, I pray that every heart would be clear and that every sin would be confessed, represented here and on the live stream. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, every now and then you get a blessing. I got some joy this morning because in walked one of our girls that came here as a college student. Her name was Leanne Drescher. She's Leanne Mallard now. Chuck married her. Hit the jackpot. They got two boys. They're playing a big ball tournament here in the area. And she said, I wanted to get by and see you before you retired. Well, I want you to know something right now. When they start coming back and we start remembering the part that these students and others who have been a part of this church have played and they're living in other places now, it makes me have some joy. Amen? Because they're loving Jesus and serving God and raising them boys. And it's so good to, to see you. Listen, what we've done, what we're doing for God's glory right now makes him smile. But I found something in this text that makes him have joy more than anything else. In these three stories, as Jesus is teaching and preaching to the scribes or the sinners and the publicans, he's got something to say to them, but he's also got something to say to the other crowd that's around. And uh, Jesus is talking, and he gives three stories. And by the way, all three stories end up in three parties. Jesus loved to have a party. I, I'll just go ahead and tell you that. He's all about the joy and the victory, and it's about time for us to have, I know it's COVID, a little bit of that left, but I, it's, it's about time for us to have another big old family. What do we call them? Family table. It's time for some fellowship around here. A lot of y'all are missing us as much as we're missing you and missing each other, and uh, so that's coming. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Right, Pastor Cameron? Can we please talk about that tomorrow? <laughs> Used to, I could just say, we're going to do this. All right, three stories. Here's the stories. You know the first one. Got a hundred sheep, he said. You lose one of them. He said, what, that guy goes out, and when he's found that one lost sheep, leaves the 99, finds that one, and comes back with that sheep on his shoulders. And look at what happens next in verse 5. He's rejoicing. 
You're going to see this theme of joy all through it. Verse, verse 6, And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. And then he said this. Look, at this is important. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that, what? Repenteth. Repents. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Now look, when you got saved, you repented. You agreed with God about your sin. Are you listening to me? Don't you miss this. Hey, the Lord brought some of you here this morning because He wants to, to save something and change something about your life. And you're going to give an account for what we hear this morning. Now I want you to listen. He says the thing that brings me joy the most is when a sinner repents. Not just a lost sinner. Hey, when I got saved, I repented of my sin, asked Jesus to forgive me as a little boy and save me. You know what? There was joy in heaven over that. But then, even this morning, when I wrote down some things while I was preaching and put them on this altar, there was joy in heaven over that too. We're still sinners. Do you agree with that? Amen. Save sinners, but we're still sinners. Until the day we go home to heaven and everything is made right. So there's that first scene of finding that lost sheep. Then that second story, I'm not going to spend but a minute here, is the woman that loses that little ornament, that little family ornament, that little coin. And she sweeps the house to find it. She's got ten, but she's not happy with just nine. She tries to find that one. And when she finds it, look at what she says in the middle of verse 9. Rejoice with me, I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels. There it is again. Over what? One sinner that repented. So I want to know, would you like to make the Lord joy, have some joy this morning? Wouldn't you like to know when you leave church, that he had some joy because you're here. Well, get your card and have you a pen ready. Unless you're a Pharisee and you ain't got any sin. Jesus himself is the only one that could sit in a room like this and never write something on a card if he's honest. Neil, and not you, I'm talking about the real Jesus. Get you a card. You got your card? Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. He, by the way, if you're a guest with us, he portrayed Jesus and did a beautiful job of it last week. We saw Jesus. High and lifted up. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you help your servant this morning? I know I'm over my head, but Lord, I also know that the Spirit of God that lives in me can communicate this truth and say everything needs to be said. And Lord, there's already some, I feel it shutting it down. And I pray you'd break open hearts, change homes and families and relationships, change hope, give hope where there's hopelessness. And Lord, I pray you do a work of cleansing. We're clean. You've made us worthy. You can do it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And he said a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that, faith, that fall to me. Let me tell you what he was really saying. Look this way, I'll tell you what he was saying. Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait till you die. That was the economy. That's what in the East it would have been the equivalent to saying. Because he would have received it at his father's death. I want my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. But since you're not, I want you to sell everything that your father and his father before him had accumulated. And I want you to give it to me. And we're going to see the sins of this, of this sinful son in a few minutes. And he said, and, Dad, and, and the Bible says not many days after. Now how in the world are you going to take everything that's been accumulated generations and sell it off in order to give him his part? I'll tell you, it had to be a quick sale. It would have had to have gone cheap, I would think. 
And after, not many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance. Everything his daddy just given him, his future, he wasted it with riotous, the word is reckless, living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. This is what he wasn't anticipating. He knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to sin. He knew the kind of sin he wanted to be involved in. But he didn't anticipate a famine. And you know what I see? I see the sovereignty of God in this, in this parable. Because God loves him so much. He's not just going to let him run. Hey, if you belong to God this morning, you're his child. I want you to listen to me. If you belong to Jesus this morning, you can't sin and get by with it over and over and over again. He does something called chastening. You know what that is? Ask some of these boys and girls around here that's got mamas and daddies that believe the Bible, and they'll tell you what chastening is. It means a switch. Or it means a spanking. Well, we don't agree with that. Well, you don't agree with the Bible. I'm telling you, the Lord loves His children, and because He loves them, He will chasten them. Now, when we look at this text, we see what happens. The Lord brought a famine, and He ends up, let me paraphrase for a moment, He ends up, He's hungry. So he takes a job that he never would have thought about taking as a little Jewish boy. He goes down, he ends up down in the hog pen. Well, you know how, that's unclean. And he would have eaten the, the husks, the, those, those little shells. He would have eaten all of that. But the man said, no, that's for the pigs, not for you. And then the Bible says he came to himself and he says to himself, I'm going to go back and tell my daddy, I know I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me just be one of your hired servants. That way I'll at least get to eat. I'll tell him I've sinned against you, verse 18. I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> and he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him <laughs> and had compassion on him. Can you see the scene? Fell on him, on his neck, and kissed him. And the Bible speaks of, uh, I guess I understand this word in its original fashion, talks about kiss and kiss and kiss and kiss. He just kept kissing him and he, he's embracing him and he's so glad he's there. He's welcoming him home. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in thy sight he doesn't even get halfway through what he was going to say to him. And the father shut him down. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. There's that joy and rejoicing. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. His elder son was in the field. <clears throat> now let's shift from the sinful son to the self-righteous son. Hey, if you're not found in one of them, you'll usually find yourself in the other. And if we're honest, we're going to see ourselves in both of them at times. This self-righteous brother comes in and he's drawing nigh to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. What, what are they doing in there? And he said unto him, Thy brother's come. Thy father killed the fattened calf because he had received him safe and sound. And he was angry. This elder brother got angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Wow. The same father that was out looking and came running to his sinful son now comes out and comes to his self-righteous son. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years, daddy, do I serve thee, neither transgress thy at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gave me a kid goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as your son, this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, listen to his daddy, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. 
It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, was lost, and is found. <clears throat> you know, I can't imagine, I have three children. I have a, a daughter-in-law and a son-in-law, six grandchildren. I can't imagine them coming in and saying, I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to see you anymore. In fact, I wished you were dead. In fact, I want you to give me your inheritance. By the way, I hope none of them get an idea that that might would work. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I'd say to them. Nay. That'd be a hard no on that. Hard no. But this father is a picture of Jesus in the text. And he sells everything he has. Or at least enough to pay this portion off. And he gives that boy his inheritance. And off he goes. The sinful son. I tell you, there's no joy in the father at this point. I want you to see a portrait, a picture actually, that was uh, a piece of appreciated art from Rembrandt. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. While you're looking at it, I want to tell you a story. Somebody in my life that I love very much was going through a major time of struggle in their life. And their counselor asked them to read multiple books. And because I wanted to enter in with them in that, I decided to read the books as well. So I read this book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, where this man, who's very much different in his thinking theologically in some ways than we are, had seen this picture that Rembrandt did of the return of the prodigal son. In fact, this man had studied Rembrandt's work. I confessed to someone today that I'm not a, an art uh, enthusiast. I wished I would have given more attention to that when I was younger. Um, and I plan to look at at more now but he tells the story of how Rembrandt early in his life did a picture of himself sitting in a brothel he's got this glimmer in his eye and there's the look of sin as he's choosing a lifestyle and then that was early in his life I kind of see that he, see, he saw himself as that sinful son he would later amass wealth and would become a little self-righteous I suppose and he may have seen himself as the self-righteous brother, the second brother, the elder brother. But here, at the end of his life, he paints this. Do you see his eyes are almost blinded? He's embracing his son who's looked as if he had been in, almost in prison. His head is shorn. He's got on the garment of a, of a sad, broken man. One sandal is dislodged. The elder brother's looking on from the front there. And then there are three other observers. The return of the prodigal son. In the life of the man that I was reading after, he began to share insights on how he himself, like Rembrandt, had seen himself and his own sin in the younger brother and the elder brother and the things he had learned about the father. And today I want to share them briefly as I talk about sin and repentance. You see, what I think happens is, if we're not careful, we get saved and then we just almost mark off the fact that we're sinners. Some of you, I remember you when you got saved. Pastor, that's the joy of being a part of something through the years. I remember the joy. I, I didn't see the joy of God, but he's joying too, but I remember yours. I remember times when some of us after revival or during it or at times in our life when God has come through where we see Jesus move and there's passion and joy and love for God. But the primary sin in both these brothers' lives, listen to me, 
is they didn't love their father. Not like they ought to. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I'm going to show you as we look at, number one, the sinful son. And then we're going to look at the self-righteous son. And then we're going to look at the sacrificing Savior. Holy Spirit, I ask you now to remove every obstacle that would hinder, remove every evil. And I pray the Holy Ghost would help some folks to get rid of some sin this morning. Change lives this morning, God, by the power of your word and the power of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I, I was trying to imagine what it would have been like to have been a little boy growing up out in the fields with his daddy. Hey, do y'all remember when you were young, if your dad was around, if not maybe your granddad, you thought they hung the moon. I remember my kids thinking, Daddy is most wonderful. They couldn't wait for me to get home every day. I mean, it was just joy. Right now, it's grandkids, you know. They are all about granddad and, and grandma. And it's a big, oh, I'm savoring these moments. But something changed in the life of this young man, the sinful son. At some point, sin began to make its way in. By the way, it's the same thing that divides families today. That separates young men and young women from their moms and dads, from their brothers and sisters. And boys and girls, I'm preaching you this morning too because some of you have treated your brother or sister terribly because of your selfishness. You've spoken things you should never have spoken. I hope you've got cards too because God's going to speak to you. But at some point, this boy begins to see his dad as ignorant. He don't want to live this life anymore. He don't want rules anymore. He's tired of restraints. I'm going to do what I want to do and nobody is going to stop me would be his thought. I wrote down a few sins of the younger brother. You may find them needing to go on your card this morning. How about the sin of rebellion? You know what God says, but you've made up your mind you're going to do what you want to. Or the sin of selfishness. He didn't care about his daddy. He sure wouldn't think about how this would affect him or his brother or anybody else. His mother's not mentioned, but if she's in the story, he's not thinking about anybody else. He's consumed with himself. Later, he would be involved in sexual sin. You say, Pastor, you think that could happen in the church? Good heavens, man. Of course. You think you're the only one that's ever stepped across a moral line? I'm going to tell you right away, it's wicked sin when you do it. How many of you believe God can take what's dirty and make it holy? Amen? Amen? Let me tell you something. He can wash you. He can cleanse you. But you're going to have to repent to Him. This man involves himself in sexual sin and then spending sin. I, I, I saw that that preceded the sexual sin. Do you know addiction is addiction? And it's usually fueled by idolatry. The idol of me and what I want why don't I get what I want? I wish I had him. I wish I had her. I wish we lived there. I wish I had this job. Listen to me. This young man, I see myself often in this sinful young man. This sinful son. Are you listening to me, students? He wanted more. More than his dad was giving him. I want it, and I want it now. He's disrespectful. He's neglectful of his father. He's cold toward his father. The relationship is distant. He lives in discontent. He's so greedy, he wants it, and he wants it now. He's impatient. I can't wait. You know that verse that says, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine where it is excess. 
Did you know I think a lot of people miss that? They say, well, I can still drink a little wine. I don't want to be some bread preacher. Just for the record, we don't believe that. Encourage you not to touch none of it. But I'll tell you this. This excess part, you miss that whole word. It's not just excess of wine, but excesses in any area. I think I heard a message online Wednesday. I wasn't getting nothing get to be here on fasting. I, by the way, I intend to do that for this revival and for the souls of men and for brothers and sisters in this room that I love and want to see get right with God and the Lord retain them. And for me, just see what I need to get right. I'm talking about this younger brother. What kind of sins, preacher? I'm talking about lust of the flesh. I want to go to the big city. I want to live a different life. Lust of the eyes. I want her. I want that. The pride of life. I'm better than this. I don't want to live here anymore with my daddy. You know what other sins are implied? Drunkenness. Laziness. Irresponsibility, idolatry. But the greatest of all sins in this disrespectful younger brother is he just didn't love his father. He just didn't love his father. You remember the first commandment? What is it? What? Not on your father and mother. That's a good one, but I need the first one. What's the first one? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Can I tell you, I'm not sure anybody in this room, maybe you can, could write down that I'm loving God as much as I possibly can and that He deserves to be loved. My life reflects that He is on the throne. He is first. Now let's move from the sinful brother. You say, well, that's about time. I'm ready to move off from him. We look at him as the bad guy. I think I told you this, but years ago I heard a sermon of a real moralistic preacher, and here's what he said. His title was, Let's Hear It for the Older Brother. What? What? What, what do you mean? This guy's nothing to be emulated. He's not the sinful brother. He's got sin of his own, but I'll call him the self-righteous brother. He comes in from the field. He's not asking about his little brother. He don't care what's going on with him. All he cares about is that the score is settled, that everything is fair. I, I wrote something down. I hope I can find it. I wrote so much down. The Lord's speaking to me all over the place on this truth. There it is. He was in the field, but it wasn't because he loved his daddy. He's thinking, I, get, I got to do all this stuff so I can gain my father's favor. Boy, our churches are full of this. Somehow or another, we think God's going to love us more when we do more or give more, whatever. No, you missed, the whole, you missed the whole point. If you'll love him the way you're supposed to love him, guess what? You'll want to serve him more. You'll want to sacrifice more. You'll want to be a part of the family of God and the gatherings of God's people. Why not? Because I love Him. And the manifestation of God upon the earth is His bride, His body, the church. But it starts with loving Him. It doesn't. That's not a byproduct. This man just didn't love Him. I kind of liken it to some of our teenagers. Boy, I love being with them at camp when God's moving. They're the happiest at camp there ever are any other time. 
They are, hey, I'm telling you, last year we couldn't go to camp. We went to camp right over there. Our young people experienced God during that week. They're away from the world. They're away from the flesh. They're being pumped the scriptures into them and prayer. And if they could just get, if we could live with God, walking with God, but then something happens and before long that joy and that smile on their face and that skip in their step is gone. Where is it? I'll tell you where it is. It's back where it was when you went back to your sin. Oh, elder brothers and sisters in the room that somehow think because we've been saved a little while longer that we're better than someone else and we're not ready to welcome sinners home and we're not welcome to love and rejoice when they come in these doors. By the way, I hope you'll pray for us that every sinner in the town of Dunn, every, every wicked man and woman will find their way out here to Route 5 Dunn and come in this church and hear the gospel and be changed by the power of the gospel because that's who you were Amen. or it's who you are. And God loves you. This elder brother comes back and he's angry and let's look at a few of his sins. A lot of his sins were sins of the heart. He didn't save them so much until this day when he gets so angry. But he's so angry. Anger. Wrath. Malice. My brother. Who does he think he is? He doesn't deserve anything, especially not a fat cat. Or my dad's attention. He feels entitled. Do you know any of those? Hey, look, let me tell you something. I see this. About every week of our life in these churches. There are people that feel like God owes them something. Or they're angry because they ask God to give them something or to heal them or something or to change something or do something different. And God didn't do it right when they thought he ought to do it. And so they go off with their lips sticking out about that far telling God why he let me down. No, you let him down. You don't feel entitled before God. That's a sin. Bitterness. Self-righteousness. I'm better than my brother. Judging. Pride. I've never failed you, Dad. I've kept every commandment you ever had. Everything you've ever asked of me, I've done it. He had idols too. What were they? The idol of me. Maybe there's some families that need to sit around the table today and apologize to each other for putting yourself ahead of each other. Some husbands and wives that need to not only repent before God, but repent before each other. I'm going to go ahead and give you a little word of prophecy. You ready for this? If you don't, you may lose what is so precious. You don't even know how precious it is right now, but one day, You'll look back to this moment and say, I would to God, I would have come to that makeshift altar. And I wished I would have made an altar in our home and with our children and made things right. Unforgiveness. How about complaining? Selfishness? Resentment? Any of this need to go on your card? I've written some of it on mine. And all so hidden, packaged so well in the elder brother as he comes home. How sad. But guess what the biggest sin in, in the older brother is? 
You know? Same as his little brother. He's ready to point his finger at him because of the harlots. Or the reckless living, the strong drink. Oh, look. And by the way, church people, listen to me very carefully. If you think for one moment that our sins that are in our hearts are any less grieving to God than the sins of the flesh that everybody sees, you are sorely mistaken. All, get ready. Here's a good place for an amen. All sin put Jesus on the cross. All sin. Here's the good news in grace. That the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. All of it. You say, you don't know. I don't know, and I don't need to know. I don't want to know. If we do know, we have responsibilities for what we know. You don't have to confess to me. Confess to God. Repent to God. Love each other and make it right. Number one, we saw the sinful son. Then we saw the sins of the sinful son and the sins of the self-righteous son. Now I want to notice something. And let's look at the portrait one more time. The older father, with his eyes dim, embracing his son, broken, humbled, repentant. In heaven, God is rejoicing because one sinner is repenting and restoring. You know something about this father? You can leave that up for just a minute or two, guys. He was standing there waiting to welcome his son home. The father. By the way, Jesus in this story is the father. The sympathizing savior. The sacrificing savior. And he just waiting to welcome him. I, I think I mentioned this in the early service. Here's what was supposed to have happened. His son was supposed to have made his way into the city gates. And in the courtyard where everybody would have come by, he was to have remained there until his father was called. The father may have waited for days or weeks before going, and he stayed there in his humiliation. He was to be humiliated. But instead, the father does something else. He was also to have been flogged and beaten. And then before he ever comes home, he was supposed to make restitution. In other words, he's supposed to make all that money back, enough to give his daddy what he took. And then, and only then, would there be uh, resolution. Only. Only then. But his father, he's got some good eyes on him in this story. I love it. He's looking out across there. He sees the dust begin to rise on the road. And he says in his heart, I knew I fattened that calf up just in time. There he is. I know that's him. And he takes off running. By the way, running would have been a shameful thing for him to have done. He's running to him. The boy's supposed to be running to him asking forgiveness. Hey, uh -uh. You know what his dad does? I call it the shift of shame. He takes the shame that his boy was supposed to feel and he felt it. Do you know what Jesus did when he hung on that cross for you? He ran to you. He took your shame. He took your guilt. He took your hell. He took your sins on his own body on the tree and paid for them. He ran to his boy and he falls on his neck and daddy and son began to weep over each other and cry and kiss. Oh, it was a sweet sight. I probably shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to tell it. He don't watch these live streams anyway. But Stephen, our son, when he got about 16, 17, some of y'all knew him then. We're trying to help him. But he got hurt almost everything I ever said. I guess a lot of boys and teenagers listen to this. You're going to regret some of the things you say and do to your parents. But he treated me terrible. And it made me mad, and then I treated him terrible. 
I was trying to be spiritual and be the pastor of the church. And he was, he was rolling his eyes at everything I said, and that would make me so mad. I just So we, it was a turmoil, wasn't it, Terry, the last couple of years that he was at home. When he got old enough, he kept saying, well, when I can leave home, I'm only, you know, I can't wait to get out of here. So he did. He went to Florida to college. And I'll never forget in those days, girls, y'all remember, they wouldn't let students from Pensacola come home for Thanksgiving because they just had a short break and there were some kids that had been hurt in an automobile accident, so they just did, you know, <laughs> if parents saw them, they had to drive there. So we were driving there. My stunk was in a knot the whole way there. Still, there really hadn't been any kind of restoration made at all between he and I. And uh, I'll never forget, as long as I live, we're pulling up, and uh, they have this building called the Commons. It's a big area where uh, they have their mailboxes, have a little cafe in it, big open area, hundreds of people in the room. And God had done a work in him, and God had done a work in me, broke me, humbled me, broke him, humbled him. And Pastor Cameron, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I looked over in the far corner. That building was big as this room, maybe bigger. I looked back over in the corner, and somehow or another, over all those people, and he and I are what you call height challenged. <laughs> and he somehow catches my eye, and I catch his. And all I can remember at that point is the tears began to flow. My girls never did me like that. We didn't, we had a close relationship, still do. But I remember all that pain was somehow removed between where he was and where I was. And we met in that comment. He didn't care that his peers were there, that all these people were there. He puts his arms around me, and it's one of these prodigal father moments, except I was probably more the prodigal than him. And we just stood there and wept. I don't remember saying much. But a lot happened that day, and it changed the whole dynamic of our relationship. I don't know why I told that story. Maybe there's a boy in this room who needs to find his daddy or his mama or needs to get in this altar and say, God, they're not here anymore. But forgive me for the things I said, didn't say. That father was watching, and when he came, he loved him, even his older brother. He leaves the party to go out there to the angry older brother. And I had a thought, and I'll close with it. Did you know there's a lot of men and women you know and girls and boys you know? They're not home yet. And, and they need to be welcomed home. He wants them welcomed home. Into his family, into his body, into his church. There, there's a bunch of them out there. And he loves them. The Father in the story loves them. Jesus in the story loves them. And here's the thought that the Lord brought to my heart. Did you know none of these, neither of these two boys were to remain boys the rest of their life? That would have been a weird ending, wouldn't it? Weird end of the story? No, they would grow up and one day be fathers themselves. So the loving, listen, the welcoming, the restoring that this father did is what they were to become. The younger son and the elder brother. You know what the Holy Spirit said to my heart as I read that book? That's what I want you to become, Tom. You're my son now. But I also want you to take on the characteristics and be like me. Be followers of God. I want you to welcome sinners. I want you to forgive them. I want you to extend grace. I want you to bear, shift the shame. 
Will you let your sinful pride destroy what God intends to make abundant? Or this morning, at 11.01, on the 11th day of April, will you say enough? I'm coming to turn from. I'm agreeing with God. These things I'm writing down are not pleasing to Him. They're grieving Him. And I'm sick of them. Now, don't you write down somebody else's sin or what they've done against you. We'll pray for them. Forgive them. Let's bow our heads for a moment as we write. Holy Spirit, we've sensed you. This is your service. God, you're getting us ready for an overflow. We, we feel it. And we know it won't be through Herb or Cliff and the singers. It'll be the Holy Ghost. Lord, I, I claim that verse our pastor has given us. If any man, any church thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth in me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Lord, the water can't flow. The Spirit can't flow until we repent. May we do so honestly and humbly and thoroughly this morning. And we will rejoice in victories won as you do it.